0: Hey, listeners, Chloe here. If you need to stay as up to date with the latest developments and innovations in the luxury industry as I do, you need to dive into Vogue Business. It's your ticket to a global perspective on fashion and beauty, delivering exclusive insights that will give you the edge in this competitive, dynamic industry. Just visit VogueBusiness.com today and use the code RUN20 at checkout to join the Vogue Business community. That's VogueBusiness.com, promo code RUN20. Don't miss out.
1: Welcome to The Run-Through with Vogue. I'm Choma
0: Nardi. And I'm Chloe Mal. On today's episode, we speak with Giselle. No, not the Giselle you're usually hearing about from Vogue. But we love to be unexpected at The Run-Through. This is Giselle Fetterman, a model of her own kind. A model of sustainability, activism, the ideal senatorial spouse. But first, let's get into this week's headlines. All right, so Choma, what the hell is happening with Balenciaga? It is an actual clusterfuck. I mean, seriously. It's a nightmare. Uh, Walk me through what's happening.
1: It really starts with these two campaigns that were released separately.
0: Separate Balenciaga campaigns. Right.
1: Okay. So the first was called the Balenciaga Gift Shop campaign. Okay. Featured children with these bags that were shaped like teddy bears and the teddy bears kind of were wearing you know, BDSM gear or what looked like bondage. Leather
0: harnesses, bondage. Yeah. Yeah.
1: People were outraged. Okay. People were upset. Balenciaga apologized. Then a second campaign was released in the same week. This one called the Guard Robe campaign. Wardrobe. Wardrobe. Robe is wardrobe. So it's more kind of their classics collection. This one was a little bit more difficult to understand. You know, kind of a little bit more was a little bit more provocative for a lot of people.
0: It was Isabelle Huppert, French actress, legend. Uh, She's standing in an office at a desk with the bag, the purse that's being advertised on the desk on top of a stack of or sort of a messy reef of papers. Right.
1: The still life image of that particular bag is against those documents in which you can read, you can kind of make out pieces of the text. And And the text is? pages from the Supreme Court... 2008 decision which ruled that the promotion of child pornography was was not covered by the First Amendment rights.
0: I mean, just to be clear, these SCOTUS papers, which probably came from Olivia Benson's desk into some set designer's (laughs) box, it was not like go child pornography. This was a ruling against the use of child pornography. So that combined with teddy bears in bondage. people, People were the, Tucker Carlson had it out for them. It, it, it's you know when it gets on Fox News, it's it's, it's only a, going downhill. It's
1: oh, you know, it's it's it just became this huge huge drama, this huge thing. What ultimately happened is that the brand is suing the production company and the set designer. So they are not Wh- claiming responsibility. Which they're basically scapegoating
0: them. Correct? I mean d- uh, debatably. Debatably,
1: they are not you know they they issued a statement saying that and not that's showing what's them happening. for peanuts I might add no, 25 million 25 million so it's you know it has become a really serious really high profile story case um
0: is it an actual drama in that like it could affect how things go at Balenciaga or is it really just like a, a an online tempest in a teapot
1: I would hope it's an online tempest in a teapot but I have never seen a controversy of this magnitude really in the last, in recent memory, okay, that so it feels quite.
0: This is the Iran Contra scandal of twenty twenty two fashion.
1: It it does feel like it has gotten so overblown. You know, when you get when you suddenly attract the attention of Tucker Carlson, and you know it's it's gone okay. beyond the bounds of the of the fashion world. Then you've really. You know, you've.
0: It's just weird. It's just not. I don't know. Let let stop kink shaming Paddington. Let the teddy bear live. If he wants to wear bondage, it's not like there's a a child being tied up. It's a bear. No, but if you can if you can
1: imagine, there were sort of hundreds of thousands of of people sharing the hash, hashtag cancel #CancelBalenciaga like in a matter of days. Wow,
0: and some of their celebrity friends.
1: Exactly. So as we know, Kim Kardashian is almost wears exclusively Balenciaga. Yeah. She's been featured in the campaign. She's very friendly with Demna. She
0: famously wore a Balenciaga hood to the Met Gala. Yeah, she did as,
1: as a, kind of like a Zentai suit, you know, completely and. I mean, in frankly, black. that
0: was more offensive to me than this campaign. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Let's be <speak> clear.
0: <laughs> I'll disagree there, but we'll, we'll keep God, going. But you're such a Kim-apologist. I'm <laughs> not!
1: I am not a Kim-apologist. <laughs> um, but Kim obviously, f- you know, had had to weigh in. Kim came out and she said, you know, sh- that she's reevaluating her relationship in light of the controversy. Um people are such pushovers. Yeah, you know, I know. I think it's um it, it it it's difficult, right? Because I do think people we live in fear of 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 backlash. We live in fear of cancel culture. Yeah. Um and it's it's unfortunate, you know, that when, you know, the Extreme right media link with like the liberal left, and you get this explosion of, yeah, of 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 hate and you know outrage. It's just nothing good can come of it.
0: Yeah. No, well, and there has to be room for atonement, right?
1: That's the biggest takeaway for me, and the saddest thing about this is that when you don't give creators room to take risks, room to make mistakes, room to say I messed up here and I'd yeah. like to do better then you run the risk of stifling creativity. You right. know, obviously, you know, I think we can all agree that the the, the campaign was ill-conceived. It was a mistake. You know, I, I, you know, I'm sure everybody would agree that nobody believes that Balenciaga really wants to push some kind of agenda for child pornography. It's just ridiculous. You know, and if you can believe it, there was huge news just a few days before this entire drama s- snowballed. Alessandro Michele, who was the creative director at Gucci, announced after 20 years at the brand, you know, and eight years as the creative director, almost eight years as the creative director, that he would be leaving.
0: Ah, devastating.
1: I like to call him Alessandro because I just i just Mm-mm. think he seems like he, he's the kind of guy that you Let's ca- call Let's just give by people a visual. Name.
0: This man yeah. truly looks like a very... Well-suited 1970s Jesus. Oh, yeah. You know, like
1: cult leader, rock
0: star. Yeah. You know, he has, you know, rings on every finger. Flowing. Flowing Chestnut hair, locks. You know,
1: likes to twin with Jared Leto. Like, mm-hmm. you get the vibe. Um, so he actually worked at Gucci for 20 years. So he was a behind-the-scenes person, actually, and has kind of called Gucci his family because it was his family. He worked there for 20 years.
0: But he really reinvented... The wheel.
1: Completely reinvented the wheel. I remember when he showed his first collection back in, I think it was 2015, and it was like a kind of minor revolution. Not even yeah. a major revolution. I mean, we Forget the Arab Spring. Forget Let's the Arab talk about Spring. Gucci. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, I think it, it introduced this conversation about gender nonconformity in a real way.
0: Very maximalist. Yeah, um, of course. And we were coming out of a Extremely expressive. Yeah, it, right. I feel like it was the first. He was the first designer to really embrace this idea of sort of express your true self, authenticity, yeah. like yeah. just go all the way for who you are. Like yeah. enough of the, it was sort of the anti Phoebe Philo Celine. It was like. Yes, hashtag true. old Celine. This was
1: hashtag new Gucci. It's true. We went from minimalist to maximalist, and something it felt very personality-driven. Yes, much. exactly. Not about trends. He didn't really evolve. Yeah, you know the look. It it felt very much an aesthetic, a world. Think about Harry Styles. Where would Harry Styles be without Gucci? That boa. You know, it completely helped him look. No, seriously, it helped him define his look as a solo artist. I really do think that you know, before that, he was kind of like a boy band guy, right? But you know, along
0: comes Alessandro. We're gonna get death threats. We are from from Styles fans. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I think
1: he was. Alessandro was so good at forging relationships with people like Harry with people like Billy
0: Billy Eilish Lawrence
1: Billy Eilish sorry I'm like everybody should know <laughs> Choma's best friends <laughs> my bestie Billy I moderated an interview with the two of them and it was a love fest you know they yeah. he would call her at midnight her time because of the time difference between Rome and LA and they'd have these long conversations and it was like Everything – I mean, I hate to use this word because it's so overused, but it was authentic. Like, Yeah, I the mean, if they were we had, actual relationships. Were it wasn't just a it was check a, yeah. in the mail
0: from, you know, one of the old-school European fashion houses.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think it really feels like the end of an era,
0: to be honest, or – that yeah, what else? I mean, cuz it does sort of feel like this transitional moment. Yeah. We're at the end of the year. Yeah. Everyone's sort of coming out of the pandemic. Like yeah. is this the post-COVID shakeup in the industry? Yes.
1: Yes. I think that's exactly what it is. I think we're and I think 2023 is going to be a really interesting year, you know, the, the you know, there are so many new players, there are so many unfilled houses, there are so many there's so, so what, much movement. So what what are
0: big appointments that are going to happen in the next few months?
1: Let's start with Burberry, because Daniel Lee, formerly of Bottega Veneta, has stepped into the role at Burberry, and okay. will be showing his first collection next year. Okay.
0: so that's And later we'll be talking to the new Bottega designer, we we Mathieu Blasé. Exactly.
1: You know, and obviously, you know, this past week, we honored, you know, it was one year since Virgil passed away. Yeah, Virgil and Yeah, you know, and, and that his position at Louis Vuitton is still... yet
0: to be appointed. He was the designer of the Louis Vuitton menswear. Yeah. And so that's still open. So that's something that will be filled. Gucci obviously now has an opening. Um, Raph Simmons said last week that he's shutting down his label. His own label. Yeah. So it just feels like a lot of the the tectonic plates are shifting. So in a decidedly not Alessandra Michele fashion moment, Naomi Biden wore Pristine, elegant, crisp white Ralph Lauren to her wedding at the White House. Tell me more. Well, I did not attend the royal wedding. <laughs> However, I was at the White House last week. Oh.
1: Mm, woof. All right. We we need to officially put that, you know, out there on record.
0: So we'll start from the beginning. Vogue was in discussions with the White House and ended up photographing Naomi Biden. Uh, the president's granddaughter, eldest granddaughter, uh, in her wedding dress with her grandmother, Dr. Jill Biden. I thought she looked stunning. They they looked fabulous. It was all their looks really nailed it. It was exactly what you wanted from the White House winter wedding. Super elegant, classic. Norman Jean Roy, his wife Joanna, who's his photo assistant, and myself went down to D.C. Thursday before Thanksgiving. We photographed Naomi in her Ralph Lauren dress that was very... Grace Kelly vibes. Then the story came out a few days later, and the White House press corps went apeshit because they were not given access to the wedding. And they thought that I was at the wedding, and they were very offended that they were told that the event was a private event, and which already was controversial since every White House wedding has always invited the press. And so this one was – they were – disgruntled not to have access. And then Vogue came out with this glossy photo spread and they felt that Vogue had been the one outlet invited to the wedding, which was not the case, much to my chagrin.
1: No, but I will say I read the piece. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you. Your description was especially evocative. Thank I you. I did almost, I could almost picture it. I can understand why people thought maybe you were there. You just well, didn't, touched. You, over, <laughs> you over-delivered, girl. But you people... over-delivered.
0: Woof. <laughs> no one thought it would be you know, wedding gate, the way it turned out to be. I mean, the press corps just went really, were very annoyed at the White House and their press secretary. But yeah, it was such a treat to be able to be at the White House. Um, What's it like? So it's much smaller than I thought it would be. (laughs) Okay. I feel like by the end of the day, I was like, oh, I know where everything is. I can make myself (laughs) at home here. And actually, Naomi and Peter, her now husband, and their mini Aussie Shepard Charlie are living on the third floor of the White House. Get out! They live in the same like apartment or suite that Michelle Obama's mom lived in for eight years. Wow! They're between leases on their apartment, so they just <laughs> moved in with their grandparents. They're just squatting at the White yeah, House. Exactly, Chloe. You
1: know I always love a bit of a bit of romantic
0: gossip. You love a celeb. I love, love a, I yeah. love a celeb love match. Okay, and I think well, let me tell you who's giving you a lot of those. Pete Davidson. Oh, I mean. I can see the attraction. I think he's pretty cute. I I, I do too. I'm just impressed. The man has swagger. The man has swagger. And I mean,
1: you know, the French have a saying that if you can make a woman laugh, you're halfway into her bed. And I really think that's true. I mean, he is a funny guy, you know, and his latest uh, love interest is Emily Rodajowski. And they were seen... You know, courtside, she was beaming, she was giggling. They so just they looked went, so adorable. That was their relationship status update.
0: That was their coming out. Sitting courtside <laughs> at the Knicks game. It's such a uh, practically it's such a trope now yeah, that they almost were. I, I feel like they're they were in on it. It's they're <laughs> such a 2022 couple, and tar, and it's so evocative of this moment that. Every news story about it cropped poor Ben Stiller out of the photo I mean. who was sitting next to Pete Davidson looking completely confused by the media circus around him.
1: Yeah, it was a great kind moment. He's a
0: long way from Zoolander. I mean, I <laughs> so think... So what is it about Pete He's the
1: rebound king. Look, I mean, anytime you need to pick me up, you know, and I think one thing I loved was that, you know, there are women waiting in line to date him. I mean, Dionne Warwick, who is the queen of Twitter. <laughs>
0: Basically yeah, what did tweeted she tweet? that she'd
1: like to date him next.
0: Oh, I love her. That's fantastic. It was
1: just great. I mean, but look, you know, I mean, he seemed to have so much fun with Kim. It was exactly what she needed. You just want something light and fun and someone who's going to pick you up. And Emerald has had a crappy time. You know, she's coming out
0: of a divorce. Um, so... She, should, she deserves a little fun. A little- I mean, look, I'm curious what the Venn diagram overlap that connects Ariana Grande, Kim Kardashian, Margaret Qualley, Cassie David, Kaya Gerber, and now Amrata. That's- well, I'm, I'm impressed you know his entire dating history. I I've typed it up. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm a, I'm a big Emrata fan. I want to listen yeah. to her podcast. I uh, I think she's smart. She's yeah. uh, Emirata.
1: If you're listening, we want you on the podcast. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> Mazel
1: Tov to the happy yeah, couple. I'm happy to see you that. I hope that romance flourishes in 2023. Mm-hmm.
0: everyone. It's Chloe, and I'm so excited to share something fabulous with you, Vogue's first ever global fashion community, Vogue Club. Our members get to mingle with Vogue editors, yes, including me, and fellow fashion enthusiasts at exclusive events around the world. And that's just the start. Membership opens doors to the fashion industry, bringing you expert career advice and insider style and beauty tips. What are you waiting for? Head over to Vogue.com membership to join, and here's a little treat. Use code TRT20 and snag 20% off your membership. That's TRT20 for 20% off your ticket to Vogue Club. Are you in? Hey, Run Through listeners, are you curious about what goes on behind the scenes at Vogue and in the world of fashion? Join Vogue Club, a -a one-of-a-kind fashion community where you can unlock exclusive access to Vogue editors, industry players, and fellow members, as well as receive expert style advice, tickets to VIP events, handpicked gifts, and so much more. Visit VogueClub.com today and get 20% off using promo code THERUNTHROUGH20. That's VogueClub.com, promo code THERUNTHROUGH20.
1: So, we were pretty excited when Giselle Fetman agreed to join us on the show.
0: Yes, we've been keeping an eye on her ever since the Pennsylvania Senate race, particularly because she's been a very refreshing presence on the political scene.
1: Right? She's not your typical Senate Mm -mm. spouse. She's Brazilian-born. She runs a couple of mutual aid organizations. She shops almost exclusively vintage, so she's a woman close to my heart.
0: Very up your alley. Right? And she's also kind of funny, you know?
1: She used to refer to herself as slop. Second Lady of Pennsylvania. I love it. So good. When her husband was Lieutenant Governor
0: of the state. a more of a ring than FLOTUS, I would say. For sure. (laughs) (laughs) When Vogue.com published a piece on how she wore a $12 thrifted dress to her Senate orientation, it went viral. So, of course, we were like, ah, let's get this lady on to tell us about her fashion ways and wants. And... We also obviously talked to her about the intense six months on the campaign trail while her husband was recovering from his stroke, and she sort of became the surrogate candidate for a while. It's been a whirlwind few months for you.
1: How is it, what kind of been the hardest moments of helping your husband through the campaign? How is he doing? Because obviously, it's been an intense year for you guys as a family.
2: All the things you don't expect to happen, you know, we're kind of in the biggest race in the country, and then right before election night, my husband suffers a stroke. And uh, not that there's ever a good time to have it, but somehow there were silver linings there. You know, we were 20 minutes from one of the best stroke centers in the state. Wow. We were able to get him there quickly. And then he wins all 67 counties while in the hospital. Never happened in the history of Pennsylvania. Wow. Wow. And uh, I basically left the hospital. I was there for, you know, four days, no shower, you know, (laughs) eating, uh, cannolis. That, that's what I found in the in the hospital cafeteria. They had amazing uh, deconstructed cannolis. So what? Yes. Deconstructed, they're all broken up. Amazing. So I what? I ate that for four days. Nothing but cannolis. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> I know you're also a nutritionist, yes. right? So
1: I'm sure that was probably <laughs> hard for you.
2: Right. I, a bad nutritionist, clearly. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I left the hospital after four days and came home, took a shower and went straight to the accept the nomination at the election party. So it's been, uh, <laughs> it's been a lot. I mean, you were
0: really sort of like the candidate for a while because your husband just wasn't able to be out there. Was that an experience you were prepared for? Had any, had never anticipated? What was the hardest part of that?
2: No, I think I was just a, a surrogate that was needed at that time. I never anticipated it because I don't like politics. I uh, <laughs> would never run for office. I, I don't like that world. It's not for me. Um, I much more enjoy kind of being behind the scenes, doing the work that I do. So I think I was just what was needed at that time, and you know, what better surrogate than someone who loves and believes in him? So I got to be that for a little bit, and then he's back, and then election night came again, <laughs> and he brought it home. So it's it's been a lot of emotions, but also like something that you know to recover from a stroke. Right, that alone is very hard to do it privately as a family and. You know, he's had to do it with the whole world watching. Yeah. My kids learned about the stroke five minutes before the entire world did. Oh, my god! So it was managing their reality now and their expectations and everything else that was going on.
0: You and the senator have a very
2: charming meat story. Meat <laughs> cute, we call it. And- in the film business. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So at the time I was uh, living in New Jersey, I had a business in New York. I was a nutritionist. I had a private practice there and I had a small nonprofit in Newark, New Jersey, working with food justice and food access. I was in love with the Brooklyn Bridge when I lived in New York. I thought it was just the most beautiful bridge in the world. And I was at a yoga retreat in Costa Rica, totally unrelated. And in the lobby of magazines, there was one American magazine and I picked it up and I read it. It was ready-made. It's now defunct, but it was like an artist. Oh, I remember that. used to love that magazine. And inside, there was an article about this young mayor that was working to revitalize this ghost town, this community. And something, you know, connected with it. I, I had never read about abandonment. I've always lived in overpopulated cities, Queens, Rio, Newark. And this idea of abandonment, I couldn't grasp. But put it away in my brain somewhere, went home and then came across another article. And this one talked about how the steel that built the Brooklyn Bridge came from Braddock, Pennsylvania. Hmm. And as a Brazilian, you know, signs are everywhere. And I'm like, this is a sign. And uh, (laughs) I wrote a letter to the borough uh, sharing the work that I was doing with food justice and food access and that I wanted to visit and learn and just, I don't know, understand, see it up close. He received my letter. He called me and I came to visit, and that's how it happened. Wow. Wow. So then you eloped in Burlington, Vermont. You
0: had three kids. They're all now 8, 11, 14, mm-hmm. you said? Yep. And I either read or heard that all three kids were home water births? They were, yeah. That is
2: insane. Any highlights from that you want to share? Or I- I'm just, like, fascinated by— Well, people are like, oh, you're so brave. And I don't think it was—I think it's the opposite. I think, like, You know, when you're pregnant, you just, I found myself watching all the baby shows, right? Like obsessively watching baby shows. And I would see these hospital birds and all these bright lights. And like this woman just delivered a baby and like no one covers her. And like the father-in-law is standing right there. And I was like, I don't know about this. (laughs) And so I just started exploring more. And I thinking like, it can't be that bad, right? If it was that bad, people wouldn't keep having kids. Um, so I tried. <laughs> yeah, I've wondered about that. <laughs> so I try to find like what is the closest way to nature, you know, to be able to to do this and uh, found a home water birth midwife and she delivered all three kids. And like one of those blow up jacuzzis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Did you use the same one for all three kids? No, because after each kid, I was like, oh, this is the last kid. And then I would I would donate it to the midwife so she could use it with someone else because you put a liner on it. So, yeah, I had to buy three times. Oh, that is so funny. <laughs> and so was it as bad as you thought it could no, be? No, it was amazing. Wow. A ton of friends were in the room and it was like... Oh, my gosh. There was a buffet set up and the lights were dim. Oh, my No, gosh. you're kidding me. This is so not my experience. And, and that's <laughs> why I was so scared because that is what you usually see, RD's experience. We were very lucky and, you know, the baby literally swims. Like, apparently they know how to swim when they're inside. And, oh, like, the, the little wow. arms swam up. It was surreal. Oh, my God. Yes, but no more. That, I definitely never had to buy another tub. <laughs> the shop was <is> closed.
0: <laughs> I loved that when you guys decided not to live in the lieutenant governor's mansion, you were sad to let go of the pool. So instead, you made it the people's pool and everyone could go swim there. What do you think is going to be your people's pool
2: of... D.C. and the senatorial experience. <laughs> right. That's what I want to find, right? I want to find what that thing will be in, in, in D.C. And I, I really live in the present. Like, I'm very much like, like right now you two are the most important people in my world because you're right here with me. So when I'm there, I hope to be able to find that thing as well. And I, I believe that I will. I believe those things will will show themselves. I I enter every room thinking who's missing from it and what voices are missing, what conversations can we bring. Mm. Um, so I think they will hopefully reveal themselves. I saw that you posted an Instagram of you
0: with Chastin Buddha Judge. Is he someone you've known for a long time? Are there any like political
2: spouses or politicians that you've been friends with for a while that you're excited to reconnect with? No, he's a new friend, a very new very sweet friend, and looking to find other sweet people in DC. So if you have any send my way. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Giselle, we've been talking about you and thinking about you. We loved Emma Spector's profile, but we were really excited when you tweeted that someone complimented your dress during the Senate spouse orientation, and you proudly told them, "Thank you, thrifted twelve dollars." And so we want to know what was what was that like? What was their response? Where did you get it? Is that typical for
2: you? <laughs> There was definitely a surprise on the other end, but the, the second day was actually funnier and I didn't tweet about it. So the next day, somebody came up to me and was like, I, oh my God, I read about your dress yesterday. Is today's <laughs> outfit thrifted too? And I was like, this one was from a swap meet. <laughs> <laughs> what was that outfit? The next day, it was like a pleather thing and okay. uh, it was it was from a swap meet. It was such a fun swap meet and I've been waiting to wear it, and I figured it was the good day for it. And that was like, "Well, what is that?" Like that opened an entire new conversation around swap meets. <laughs> oh, that's so funny that people don't know what that is. Have you
1: always been into thrifting? Is that something that you've been doing since you were younger?
2: Always. And you know, when I moved here, my mom cleaned houses. She was a domestic worker when we moved to to America and so my mom would clean these fancy homes who had kids many, many times close to our age and we would get the, the stuff that she would bring back that their kids were outgrowing. And I remember getting this Benetton red sweatsuit and it was like the coolest thing because I could never have afforded it. So to me, it was such a gift. Like I've always loved this idea that this has had a life. Hopefully it, it's lived good stories and yeah. maybe it didn't and now it will. So to me, thrifted was always much more appealing. Yeah, I
1: think that's a really great way to build your closet.
2: Absolutely. My 17-year-old niece came to stay with me.
0: She lives in Paris. And I was like, "Okay, where do you want to go shopping? Like, what's on your list? And she only had thrift stores. It was like thrift stores from, like, Long Island City to Williamsburg to, you know, like, Chelsea. And that was all she wanted. She didn't want to go to any new stores.
2: And I think that's so cool that teenagers are going that direction. That's awesome. And, you know, like, the, the environmental impact is a huge part of it. But I love knowing that, like, no one had to suffer, right, for what I'm wearing at any given day. And I could have much more fun with the search, with the digging, with putting things together than going somewhere where everything is the same. And there's nothing more satisfying than when someone compliments you on what you're
0: wearing and you get to say, $12 from a thrift shop. (laughs) Zing!
2: (laughs) Yes. It's so rewarding.
0: When did you
1: make this commitment to wearing ninety percent used or recycled materials?
2: Since high school, like really, wow! I've That's always so cool. thrifted. I mean, I could look at my prom dress; it was thrifted. Whatever photo I look in the history, I remember where I got it. I usually remember how much it cost. My wedding dress was thirteen dollars. Oh my goodness! Oh my god! Tell us about your <laughs> wedding dress. I, I
0: listened in a podcast that you guys eloped in Vermont. Yes. huh. Paint the scene of what you guys were wearing.
2: My husband was wearing shorts. Shocker. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> (laughs) And uh, we, you know, we were in Burlington. I think we we love, it's a beautiful city. And I I think we were both uncomfortable with the idea of a wedding. Like, you know, the idea that anyone shows up for you is like, oh, it gives him anxiety. It kind of stresses me out. So eloping sounded perfect. I had a dress I got in New York at a thrift store in New York. It was a thrifted, like ruffled, layered mini dress. And uh, we literally picked up, we went to the city hall, picked up the Justice of Peace book. And I was like, her name sounds cool. We called her and she married us in her front yard. Well, I have a style
1: question. Your husband's very famous for his tattoos. (laughs) And we were both wondering, do
2: you have any? I do. I do. I have a lot of little ones. (laughs) I have a heart here. I have soft here. What does that mean? After I did it here, I said, oh, this is perfect because I have no muscle. So it applies to my arm as well. Um, (laughs) But more just this idea of being radically soft and gentle. Oh, that's lovely. I have a a horseshoe on my ankle. I have an equal sign on my rib. I have a bunch of tiny ones all over.
0: Okay. I love that. Giselle, where do you guys stay when you're going to be in D.C. now? Is your husband going to get like an apartment or are you near other like new Senate members or are there new Senate spouses that you've made friends with? Like what what has it been like the
2: Washington transition? So we are apartment shopping as we speak, looking to find a place close by um, since he'll be there a lot. I'm getting to know my Senate spouses. During that week of orientation, I spend time with the newer additions and then I got to meet a lot of the existing ones. Looking forward to working with them. There's a book club. Oh, cute. What book is, are I'm they reading? I'm not in yet. I'm only in after inauguration, so. Oh, interesting. Oh, I'll, I'll let you have. know that. Uh, <laughs> they have like a weekly lunch and then they do things together. So I'm going to see what I can, you know, get them involved doing and get to know them and and learn more. That's nice. That's much more community
0: oriented than I would have expected. Well, we do have a couple of questions,
1: fashion questions that we ask all of our guests. And the first is, do you have a biggest fashion regret? And if so, what is it?
2: For me, it was class night in high school. And I still, oh, every once in a while <laughs> I photo surfaces and I'm like, oh. So it was this, Beautiful silver snakeskin and like the design of the snakeskin had velvet and that was fine. And then I took this silver pomade (laughs) and I did like, it was awful. And then like, you know, you take these two parts and you tie under and then like I silver pomade this part of the hair. Oh, wow. I don't know what (laughs) I was thinking, but it was awful. (laughs) Wait, what is class night? (laughs) So it's like my high school had prom night and then the year before prom, they had class night. Oh, Interesting. Yeah, okay. and it was awful. And oh, like wow. every two years, someone's like, oh, Giselle, I found this picture from night," And I was like, oh, burn it.
1: <laughs> I love the commitment to a look, though, that you yeah, went exactly. silver oh, you pomade. Went, you, you went
2: full for you it. got,
1: I think, better to regret than not to regret <laughs> not doing it, right? And we have a second one for you, too. What piece of clothing would you bring to a desert island?
2: To a desert island. I have this... Um, It was a thrifted dress and it's just, it's so beautiful. Um, I got it on eBay and I don't remember the brand, but it's a very fancy brand. It's like corduroy-ish, but it's also like military and it's layered and it's just fabulous. I love it. Magnolia did an episode in our house and I wore it to that interview and I just, I love it. That's probably my favorite outfit.
1: Yeah, it's so good to have a dress. Amazing. that will, yeah,
2: just, we'll never you let you down. Desert
0: <laughs> exactly.
2: I'll need all those buckles for the desert. Exactly.
1: <laughs> Mathieu Blasé is the new designer at Bottega Veneta. He's been there for less than a year and already the show in Milan has become basically the show to see. And he kind of makes it look easy. So I was really eager to talk to him about that.
0: Yeah, he got his big Vogue profile in the September issue, which you can read on Vogue.com now. But Choma also caught up with him to talk about his recent runway show.
1: Your debut, you opened with what looked like a white tank and jeans, and which was actually all this made of of leather. And, you know, you sort of set the tone for this new vision.
3: You know, like, I I looked at a lot of uh, different women, you know, in research, and there was some characters that would always come back. And they were basically very simple. They were wearing a jean and a T-shirt. I thought it was beautiful. You know, as simple as that. The thing is that at Bottega, we have a craft and we have... um, enough craft people to develop and push it to an extreme. What I find interesting in the silhouette is that the technicality behind is so well made by those people that it's only the one that wears it that know how luxury it is. And there is something that I found quite nice in trying to build up luxury for the self and not just to be seen. And that notion of comfort, I also find quite uh, modern. I mean, we all live in the real world. We go to work, people have kids, um, you know, we can push that vision to an extreme as well.
1: Yeah, and I love that you put Kate Moss yes. in that look. You know, she was wearing what looked like a flannel shirt, a tank top, and jeans. Exactly. It, it reminded me just how beautiful, like, she is, because oh, I think wonderful. you really saw her as she is, you know, because she just looked like she just walked out into the street and wearing something so cool. Exactly. It reminded me like why I loved her as like a teenager when I was growing up. Like, oh yeah, that's the Kate. That's the 90s Kate.
3: The idea was not to turn her into something that she's not. I wanted her to look like herself, you know, what she is. And for me, Kate, you know, like when you look at Calvin Klein and all those images we know from from the 90s, What Calvin did great is that he made look like her and almost erased the clothes to just focus on the character of Kate. And, you know, also, I have to admit, when I was a teenager, I was extremely obsessed uh, with Kate Moss. She's one of the reasons I do fashion today.
1: Did she love that look?
3: Yeah, it's funny because she already had the pair of jeans in denim. So um, when she came for her fitting, it's almost like she didn't have to change. We just had the tank top (laughs) and, uh, and the shirt.
1: I think you've talked a little bit about how you fell in love with New York while you are working at Calvin. Like, what was it like living in New York at that time? Like, what about New York do you love?
3: I have a funny story with New York because when I was teenage, my dad used to travel a lot to New York and he would always take a kid with him. Um, <laughs> and, and basically, New York became a playground because my dad was working all day and he gave us, I mean, at 14, you know, we were alone in the city, wandering and you know, going to museum. Basically, it became a field of freedom, New York. It was a very, very joyful time. The energy was great, you know, but also the daily life as well, you know, the galleries, the the restaurants. So, you know, when it came to do a project, you know, I wanted to do something special and something that was probably more linked to a cultural uh, than just fashion.
1: How has your life changed in the last six months? I mean, now you're more in Milan and also just being in in the spotlight, you know, because I think having been behind the scenes, like how do you feel about becoming more forward facing, right? Or is that something that you're not interested in so
3: much? Alors, it's funny because the job itself hasn't changed so much because I was already design director in other jobs. Okay, now I do maybe more marketing, you know, making a brand. The industry itself has been very welcoming. People are warm. I think today in fashion, there there is a, I feel less the the pressure between designers. I think people talk and there is kindness. I have to say the only thing that disturbs me is when people call me by my name, where we haven't met. That's maybe the only thing that, that, (laughs) that really, really changed. But for the rest, it's been very, very nice, you know, like simple and nice.
1: What's next for you? What are you working on right now? Are you already full on in planning mode for the next? Or Tell me a bit about what happens after a show.
3: After a show, I always have a little moment of depression, you know, like the the pressure goes down. So that's the moment where I take a little bit of time for myself. So the first things I'm going to do is go to Paris and uh, see my friends and walk around with my dog. (laughs) <laughs>
1: what kind of dog do you have?
3: It's a mix of a lot of stuff. It's, um, <laughs> it's a dog Peter and I got when we were living in New York, and it was um, a dog that came from uh, Alabama. It's, it's a rescue. Nice. So I'm going to do that, see my friends, have beers, uh, you know, have great dinners and walk my dog. But every day feels quite different, which is basically the reason I love my job so much.
1: So we've been talking to people, because this will air around the holidays, You're from Paris, you grew up in Paris. What do you love about the holidays in Paris? How was your Parisian Christmas like when you were growing up?
3: It's funny because I never had Christmas in Paris. My mum is from Belgium and my dad is from the Pyrenees, so it was always either there or there. I can tell you a lot about the Christmas in uh, Belgium. It's joyful. In general, my grandmother would put jazz and music and we would dance very, very simple.
1: <laughs> Did you get dressed up?
3: Yeah, I mean, everyone was trying to, to do their best, you know. In French, we say to se mettre sur son 31, you know, like beautiful clothes. And, you know, the, it's a day for a shirt. And, you know, like very joyful. Everyone tried to be pretty and looking their best at the table. But, you know, after two hours, everyone has danced. And then suddenly everyone feels more relaxed. And, you know, like this is the kind of uh, Christmas I love.
1: Yeah, I love it. Thank you so, so much. I really appreciate that. And lovely to see Thank you. Thank you so much, Shoma. <laughs>
3: ciao, ciao, Bye, merci. good to see you.
0: Ah, love a man who goes home to his mama for Christmas. I know. I actually got
1: my green card paperwork early, so I'll be going home for oh, Christmas too.
0: That's like Love Actually. <laughs> I don't know, it feels like a Richard Curtis movie. I know, Christmas in London. Who doesn't love oh, it? Oh, perfect. Christmas came early.
1: The Run Through with Vogue is a production of Condé Nast Entertainment. I'm Minardi, And I'm Chloe Mel. See you next week.